Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. So, Logan, I was watching your interview that you did at Porkfest. With, yes. With one of your, was I don't know if he's a pagan friend, but someone that you met who is part of the pagan community. He's a friend now, I would say. Yeah. And and I learned a lot. And, and for those who um, aren't going to run screaming from this episode, I would encourage them to go to Free the People's YouTube page and watch this conversation because... Um, I'm I'm guilty of of doing something that you talk about at the in, in the end of the book when when we're all together hmm. at Free the People and we're always um, kind of teasing each other about our different religious faiths and for reasons that was not curated by me we have one of almost everything on our team yeah we do but I'm I'm the guy that's um, when when you're talking about paganism I'm the guy that immediately straw mans you and says so you're <laughs> running around in the woods sacrificing animals or something and you maybe you're passively aggressively talking about me at the end of the book but uh um, i thought it was funny it is funny and like i don't mind being teased about it i think the stereotypes are funny but only when people really take them seriously is it a problem but yeah most people don't so i want to i want to get into your book and 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 there's a couple of themes I definitely want to talk about that, that I know you want to talk about as well. But, but I was thinking about it in the context of just reading the morning news and, and what I would consider one of the fundamentally American principles that also happens to be a very libertarian principle, which is freedom of religion and your, your freedom to sort of uh, choose your faith and live your life as you see fit, believe the things that you want to believe as long as you don't hurt people or take their stuff. And, and you know, I think a lot of uh, Christians in America are now feeling like they're, they're, they're the persecuted ones being targeted by, you know, the woke culture, cultural Marxists, whatever that thing is. And, you know, particularly that, that masterpiece um, cake maker right. in, in Colorado. And they just keep going after him. And it's one thing after another and and this poor guy just wants to run his business and 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 properly represent his faith and his beliefs and in america we think that you should be able to do that and and one of the things that libertarians they would die on this hill at least most of us who um, are libertarian would say he has a right to not bake a cake and to me this is this is something that makes america special like we're we're the one place in the world, maybe, maybe, maybe there's other places where we we are tolerant of of a broad diversity of religions, even though I think most Americans are identify as Christian. It's like eighty percent, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty high. Um, but that and that that makes it sort of unique that in a in a nation that is that is dominated by Christians, we we allow for the rest of the weirdos like you to exist absolutely and thrive and and as far as i know we haven't tried to burn you at the stake not or, yet it's uh, i've gotten away with it so far yeah but yeah i mean that's there's no one has a monopoly on spirituality or truth or anything like that and it's it's nice that we live in a country where 
people can experience their faith, their spiritual, whatever it is, in any way they want to without being persecuted for it. And you're right. Like, I think the Christians are a target because they've been dominant for so long. And people feel like it's like why white men are still a target of everything because they've been dominant for a long time. People feel like they could get away with it. But you shouldn't you shouldn't be attacking people for their beliefs as long as they're not hurting people. I agree. Yeah. And I like I think the um, the origin of that um, with the founding fathers was was perhaps a sense of persecution um, colonists felt um, and and things that they fled, but but I think it was more fundamental than that. They they wanted to create a nation that was built on the individual and not some collective. Yeah, and they wanted a, a nation where the church wasn't running the show. Yeah. They want that's the whole point of the first amendment apart from the free speech aspect of it, which is important, but the separation of church and state in the first amendment is about we came from countries where the government and the church were synonymous and we don't want that here. We want a separation and the separation goes both, both ways. They don't want the government interfering with the churches and they don't want the churches interfering with the government. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the book. Um, okay. And I, I have your other book because I think it's relevant. And, and people that are huge fans of the show will remember we had a conversation about a book that you wrote a couple of years ago called Conforma Be Cast Out, The Literal Demonization of Nonconformists. And and again, like I think that theme's going to run through, um, I hope it runs through everything that we do at Free the People, certainly everything that I believe. But it, it certainly applies to the First Amendment and religious freedom. You're right to say things that people disagree with. You're right to believe things that pe- people disagree with. You're, you're right to be yourself. Um, and that, that to me, is, is not only a fundamentally American thing, but a fundamentally libertarian thing. And so the book we're going to talk about today is Libertarian Paganism, Freedom and Responsibility in Nature-Based Spirituality. And I... I, I teased you about this too, because when you told me you were writing a book about libertarian paganism, I'm like, that's that is a very niche market for yeah. this book. Because as as a libertarian, I happen to think that that libertarianism is 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 tragically too niche of a market, and and when I talk about it, I try not to use an ism. I just try to talk about these common sense values. But but you're gonna find you're gonna try to find a market in I guess we. This is a global market now, yeah. but um, for libertarian libertarians who are at least curious about what is this word paganism? Yeah. So the reason I wrote this book is because I, I've been a libertarian for a long time and I was always kind of spiritually interested. I, was, I felt like uh, there was something lacking in kind of scientific materialism. I knew that there was some sort of mystical dimension to the world, or at least I felt that there was, and I wanted to get in touch with that, and that felt like it was something that was important to me, and I couldn't find anything place where I really fit. I tried to explore like the dominant religions that we have on this continent, and they weren't doing much for me, um, and I happened upon paganism about 15 or 16 years ago, Um, and I found it really connected with me. And for a long time, I thought these were completely separate things. They were unrelated to each other. And as I learned more about it, I started noticing that it actually is not separate at all. Like the reason that I'm attracted to paganism is the same as the reason that I'm attracted to libertarianism. There's a lot of commonalities. And I started talking to people in the movement and I started reading books 
And I kept hearing pagans say things that sounded very libertarian. And I was like, they don't identify as libertarians. They think of themselves as something else for the most part. There are some who do, but they mostly don't identify as libertarians. But they have these instincts that are similar. And I thought that was interesting. And I hadn't seen anyone else do any work on the topic. Whenever I write a book, I try to do something that no one else has done any work on. Um, I don't want to just reproduce what someone else has already done. And I thought, well, this is new. I Googled the phrase libertarian paganism, no results. So I thought there's an opening here for me. And yeah, it is a niche market, but I feel like we're in a place in America right now where a lot of people are like me and they feel like they're dissatisfied with the the major choices that have been presented to them by politics. They don't like the red team. They don't like the blue team. They feel like there's got to be something better. Um, and they're dissatisfied with the major choices that have been presented to them in spirituality and religion. They don't necessarily want to be Christian. They don't necessarily want to be atheist. They don't necessarily want to be Jewish, but they want something. And um, I think this is a book for people who are feeling spiritually homeless and politically homeless and think maybe there's another option out there and they can check it out. And if they if they find that it speaks to them like I did, I hope that they will get something out of it. And it's not meant to be evangelical or convert anybody, but it's meant to just be a, a resource of information for people who are, are searching. You're not trying to make America a pagan nation? I'm really not. I really have no interest in whether people convert to paganism or not. I don't care. Um, but it worked for me. And so I just wanted to put that out there for other people who might find it interesting. And like you said, there's a lot of ignorance and misinformation about it. People don't know what it is. People think of it, particularly Christians, they think of it as some sort of devil-worshipping, demonic thing, which it isn't at all. It's a beautiful, life-affirming, nature-affirming religion with nothing sinister in it whatsoever. Um, but people just don't know. And they hear the word and they have these, these um, you know, preconceptions in their mind. They have these stereotypes in their mind. And uh, I wanted to do a little bit to dispel that as well. Yeah, I, um, I, I knew nothing about it. And, and I knew that the stereotypes that I was throwing at you were um, exclusively drawn from movies as opposed to reality. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to I puncture some of the myths and, and, and get into to what it is because I've watching you talk about it. I didn't realize um, that you were a pagan when we first met. And I guess I should be... Um, um, ostracized for for knowingly hire, hiring a pagan. I mean, that that's outrageous. I wasn't really when we first met. I okay. was still kind of figuring it out. I didn't start calling myself a pagan until about five years ago. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, I guess maybe about five years ago I, I first started you hearing about it. Mm -hmm. But before before we sort of puncture some of the myths and, and get into some of the, the themes that, that, that I find pretty compelling and universal, like I, I don't think these are uniquely pagan values I think they're hopefully human values but the, the one thing you said that I, th I th I've, I've been fascinated with is this this struggle between um, wanting a sense of belonging but also not wanting to have to sign on the dotted line that in order to belong to group X you have to obey everything you have to believe everything you're either with us or against us and I think there's this this dynamic, um, not only American culture. I think I think it's happening everywhere where 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 people desperately want that sense of belonging. A lot of those a lot of those old top down institutions have collapsed because of of technology and and disintermediation. My favorite word. Yep. But it doesn't change the human need to to belong to something. And we were talking about this yesterday when we were traveling that. Um, in a, in a kind of a superficial way, but not. I, I get that from going to a dead show. Yeah, totally. And I love being around um, 20,000 other people who are totally into the same thing, 
and and you immediately like you you, you don't know anybody but you're friends with everybody almost immediately and right. you get to you get to hang out and you, you always leave with with new relationships and new friends and it's a sense of belonging that that no one had to sign up for some some religious creed or political manifesto to do that right and i think there's something human about wanting that sense of belonging at Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle 24-7, something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today, just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. Absolutely. And this has been a great source of community for me. There's a, a group in Washington, D.C. where I live that I hang out with. I've been a member of them for like three or four years now. And uh, they're, they're great people. And I, I really have made a lot of good friends through that. And we get to celebrate holidays together and show up and do things together. And it's a nice sense of community. And apart from the spiritual component of it, you know, we all unite around the thing that we commonly believe. But you get to meet people that way. It's always nice. Yeah. And your favorite... Um your favorite bar where you guys gathered was just a victim of lockdowns. Yeah, we had a wonderful bar called uh, Hex that was up in Shaw, and uh, it was a little kind of pop-up bar that was uh, witchcraft-themed, and it was so great. And we used to like spend every night of the week there pretty much. And uh, unfortunately, they were a victim of the, the lockdowns and not survived. So we were a little bit uh, still searching for a place to have a regular meeting now that our old haunt has had met its demise. It's funny that you call it a haunt. Um <laughs> Um, that may have been deliberate. Yeah, Not, nothing like a good pagan joke. But yeah. uh, so, what? Speaking of pagan jokes, what what are the most ridiculous straw men arguments against paganism? What What do people think when they hear this word? Yeah, I think we should like kind of start by defining some terms because your audience will not be familiar with what neo paganism is. Really, um, pagan. The word pagan is a Latin word that means country dweller. It comes from when uh, the Roman Empire was Christian and they were making fun of all the rural hillbillies and hicks who uh, worshipped the old gods and had not been converted. So pagan is a basically catch-all term for, at the time it was non-Christian, but it has come to be a catch-all term for people who um, buy into sort of pre-Christian traditions, uh, polytheism. Uh, it's, very, it's a very multicultural and uh, eclectic term. It's an umbrella term. It encompasses a lot of different traditions. It's not just one thing. The most popular uh, in America version of paganism is Wicca, um, but that's just one. There's, there's new, new Druids, and there's people who uh, are attracted to the Greek and Roman gods. There's people who are attracted to the Norse pantheon of, of gods. It's essentially just a non-monotheistic uh, set of religions where you have a, a more pluralistic idea of what divinity is. And it's very deeply connected with nature and the natural world. There's a sense of, you know, in the ancient world, it was really important that you knew what was going on with nature because your survival depended on it. So knowing what the sun is doing, knowing what the moon is doing, knowing what the seasons are doing, you had to be connected to that. There's a sense of wanting to get back to that in modern paganism. And most people will, will call it neo-paganism these days to differentiate it from these ancient traditions. I don't like the prefix neo. I find it aesthetically unpleasing, so I, I t don't use it. I just say paganism. But uh, it's not one thing. It's a whole variety of things. And it's a very beautiful thing. It's, a, it's about celebrating life. It's about celebrating nature and the seasons. And it's about uh, finding the divine in the natural world. Um, it, it's essentially... Um a collection of of different faiths and beliefs and traditions that were pre-Christian. Yes. Yeah. And there's uh, many different varieties. I mainly focus on the book on the Western European tradition because it's what I'm familiar with. 
Um, but there's, you know, Native American paganism, there's Hawaiian paganism, there's Asian paganism. It's all over the place. And I don't know very much about those traditions, so I don't really talk about them. But they exist. And there's, you know, there's African paganism, there's all sorts of stuff. But the, the modern neo-paganism movement basically grew out of uh, Britain, where there was this 19th century uh, occult society called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, where essentially a bunch of bored Victorian rich kids got together and wanted to resurrect some of these ideas. And they, they cobbled together these uh, practices, these ritual practices out of ancient Jewish mysticism, ancient Egyptian mythology, Greek and Roman mythology, uh, a bunch of medieval uh, like angel summoning, uh, they're called grimoires, kind of textbooks. Uh, they translated all this out of Latin and Greek and Egyptian and Hebrew, and they came up with this thing. And one of the members of that group named Gerald Gardner broke off and founded Wicca. He had claimed that he had encountered a witch cult in the forest of Britain and that they had an unbroken oral tradition going back thousands of years and that he was resurrecting that. That claim is pretty spurious. Um, like many religions, there is a lot of kind of shared mythology around paganism that isn't necessarily historically accurate or true, but it's fun. Um, but there are certainly aspects of it that date back thousands of years, but the the way it's celebrated in modern times can't really authentically be claimed to be an ancient religion. It's It was pieced together through a lot of different traditions and sort of formalized in, codified in like the 1950s when the witchcraft laws were repealed in Britain and you could actually come out into the open without getting arrested for doing it. Yeah. It it strikes me that that, that tradition, I mean, there's a lot of uh, um, Norse um, iconography there. And I'm I'm naturally thinking of of Tolkien and Lord of the Rings. How much, mm -hmm. how much is he personally responsible? And he was a Christian, right? Oh yeah, Tolkien was a devout Catholic. Yeah, very serious Catholic. But but he, in a lot of ways, he popularized these these mythologies, right? Well, I don't think there's much of a connection between Tolkien and paganism. Tolkien was very influenced by the Old Norse sagas, like the Icelandic sagas and things like that, and uh, and Anglo-Saxon, like uh, Beowulf, those type of things. Uh, but he, he didn't incorporate too much Celtic mythology into his myths. There's a lot of Celtic influence. And uh, so I wouldn't say there's too much of a connection there, but it was happening around the same time. Like the Lord of the Rings was published in the 1950s in Britain and Wicca was coming out in the 1950s in Britain. So maybe there was this sort of uh, hunger for nostalgia of the old ways and mythology and, and fantasy that was around in the atmosphere at those time. So I don't know. So, so, so Gandalf is not a pagan. Well, uh, I would say no, because Gandalf worships Eru, the one uh, Iluvatar creator who who created the whole entire Middle-earth cosmo cosmogony. I think that's the word. <laughs> um, so that's a, the Middle-earth religion is, is very monotheistic. So I would say it's not pagan at all. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, that, that won't be the last stupid question I ask. <laughs> the... The, um, but you asked about stereotypes yeah. and like, yeah, people, a lot of people's opinion of paganism is it's Satanism, it's devil worship, it's sacrificing goats, it's child abuse. There is, I write about in both this book and my last book a little bit, um, the satanic panic, which was a big thing in the United States in the 1970s and 1980s. And it was this mass hysteria where everyone became convinced that there were Satanists hiding around every corner that were kidnapping children and sacrificing them and abusing them and giving them drugs and all this stuff. And it was almost entirely made up. It was all fake. Um, but it gripped popular imagination and there's still kind of holdovers from that where people still have that idea of like every Halloween, it's, this is like our Halloween show every Halloween people will say oh there's there's madmen out there putting razor blades and LSD in your children's candy, it never happens it's all made up and fake 
but uh, these sort of urban legend fears persist around that kind of stuff. And I don't know any pagans who sacrifice animals. I don't know any. I certainly don't know any pagans who sacrifice humans. Um, there, you know, there are pre-Christian traditions that did that because the ancient world was a fairly savage world in a lot of ways. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's what modern pagans do. And we certainly don't worship anything like a devil. Like we, the gods that we identify with and that we talk about tend to be very positive, uplifting gods. And they're not the Christian God, but they're, they're good gods all the same. So the, the theme that, um, really comes out in your book, um, is, is more about you, you want people to appreciate the, the history of paganism and, and the values that you draw from it. But I think the purpose of your book, you said, was to actually try to turn on some of your fellow pagans onto the values of libertarianism. Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, go to freethepeople.org KOL and support Kibbe on Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. I think that's true. Um, like I said, most of them don't uh, identify as libertarian. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to be an evangelist. I don't want to convert anybody if there doesn't want to be converted. But I noticed that there's this trend of, of thinking and talking that sounds libertarian to me. And I feel like a lot of people just haven't heard that term and don't know what it means. Or maybe they have stereotypes about it, just like we have stereotypes about pagans. They think of libertarians as these hyper-selfish, greedy capitalists who want to just destroy everyone else and get their own thing, which is not at all my experience with libertarians. And so I thought, well, there's there's some common ground here. And I notice as I get older and a little bit more mature, maybe it will get less combative. And I get where I want to bring people together and, and make them understand each other a little bit better rather than just fight all the time. There's too much fighting as, as it is. And so instead of having these these stereotypes about each other, I want us to be able to talk to each other and say, I'm, well, we may not agree on everything, but we have some common ground and we can understand where we're coming from. So that's sort of one of my goals of the book. I think um, I was thinking about this this morning, and I think that that obviously we 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 share that goal that that we want um, people to better understand each other and not other each other because othering and and caricatures and misconceptions about who other people are is how tyrants and status get to fight, get us to fight each other. Yeah. And and the other point I want to make about this very quickly is this book is not really about politics and I'm not telling anybody how to vote. I'm not telling anybody what party to register for. There is a libertarian party with a capital L, but that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about libertarianism. I'm talking about small L philosophical libertarianism. It's a worldview. It's a way of um, understanding society and power and hierarchy. And, you know, some pagans are going to disagree with me on a lot of policy and that's fine. Um, but I'm not just saying like you're a libertarian. If you're for low taxes, you don't have to be for low taxes. You can be for whatever you want, but I'm talking about it as the worldview of your basic attitude towards authority, your basic attitude towards power and towards pluralism, towards a tolerance for uncertainty, all these kind of what I consider to be basic libertarian worldviews that don't necessarily have to do with policy or politics, who you vote for, what party you register for. My impression from, from your book is that your community of pagans doesn't spend a lot of time fighting with each other, even though you're coming from a tradition that perhaps has more nooks and crannies and factions 
than almost any other belief system I've ever seen. And I'm thinking about the, the Libertarian Party for a second, how they spent all their time fighting each other about the minutia mm-hmm. of the shared faith. Um, but you don't see that in paganism, or is it just that you, well, the, you've chosen your community that doesn't fight? You definitely see it in paganism a lot. Um, there's a lot of uh, disagreements, very passionate disagreements within it. In, in the particular group that I spend time with, we get along pretty well. And I think I'm fortunate that the people who are members of that group are, for the most part, peacemakers, and they don't want to fight with each other, and that's good. But one of the things that I, you know, that made me realize that libertarians and pagans are similar is how difficult it is to get pagans to organize and get them to be in a group together because they're very solitary, they're very independent. And, uh, you know, when you try to, to force them into it, the confines of a group, they rebel. It's like herding cats, which I find to be a very charming tendency. I really like that about people who refuse to be confined to a group. Uh, there was a, a great example in the book about there's a pagan publisher called Llewellyn, and they tried to organize in the 70s a Council of American Witches where they're like, we're going to get all the, the Wiccans together and we're going to like set out the rules of the religion and we're going to set out, we're going to make everything official the way it's going to be. And everyone just went nuts. They're like, no, we're not doing that. That's garbage. We have no interest in being told what to think or what to do. Everyone split and went their separate ways and the whole thing blew apart instantly. Like you can't organize and I love that. And it's the same thing with libertarians. You get libertarians together and try to get them to agree on anything. It's, it's going to be a disaster. And I love that. I think that shows that we're independent thinkers and that we have our own views about things and we don't want to be told by other people what we have to think or what we have to believe. So you've reminded me of a project that we've been talking about for years. And, and because we're doing this show, I think, I think we should proceed with it. Um, I've always wanted to find a way to sort of puncture some of the caricatures of libertarianism mm-hmm. because I think I think we're guilty of uh, the caricature of us is that we're a bunch of um, isolated radical individualists who are atheists we don't believe in anything we don't really believe in community um, we 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 mock religion and and I don't think any of that is true. So, like, there's this project that I want our colleague Sam to take on and, and, and explore Christian libertarianism, right. which, which is a real thing, um, and, and look at, at different faiths and creeds and from that process draw some pretty common sense human values. And that's, that's what I, uh, before we started, I accused you, not really, of, of plagiarizing my book, Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff. Available at fine bookstores everywhere. Available. Um, by the way, the hardcover is, is virtually impossible to find. But in the first chapter of this book, I half-jokingly but very seriously try to mash up a lot of different belief systems um, and mash them all together, including Ayn Rand, who was very influential on me when I was a kid, um, most importantly, Adam Smith and the theory of moral sentiments, but but all sorts of libertarian philosophies, some of whom would never even use that word, um, of all faiths and all creeds, and come up with these these shared human values that 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 um, bind us, um, bind the the civilized free world. And those rules were, and and the reason I'm not I'm not actually accusing you of, of stealing this. I'm I'm pointing out that. You can derive these basic human values from from lots of places, and you have as well. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Take responsibility. Work for it. Mind your own business. Fight the power. Yes. Um, all of those values are 
are expanded upon in, in your book about paganism. Yes, all of those values are things that I see in the pagan community, which I find very interesting. Um, there is, there's not a lot of rules in the pagan community, which I like. Um, there's no Ten Commandments of paganism. There's no Pope of paganism. There's no Bible of paganism. There's no sacred text you have to adhere to. There's no leader you have to listen to. Um, there's one guideline that shows up in Wicca called the Wiccan Read, and it's a little rhyme that goes, eight, eight words the Wiccan Read fulfill, and ye harm none, do what you will, which basically means don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting other people. And I came so, across so I that. stole it from the Wiccans. Well, and then the Wiccans kind of stole it from this uh, famous British occultist, Aleister Crowley, who said, do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. Love is the law. Love under will. And that's that's his famous saying. And it's it's often misunderstood, but a lot of it is, you know, do what you want to do, but don't hurt any other people. Everything and, I know about Aleister Crowley I learned from Ozzy Osbourne, by the way. Has, That's a great song. Has Good. an epic song yep. about about Mr. Crowley. That's a great song. I get yelled at on YouTube for pronouncing his name Crowley the way that Ozzy Osbourne does. Apparently, he pronounced it Crowley, rhymes with holy. And uh, I did a video who, on who him. Who are you going to believe? Well, yeah, I did a video on him, and I get like hundreds and hundreds of comments saying, you're pronouncing his name wrong. But I, li I like Crowley better than Crowley, so I tend to say it that way, and people can just deal with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's that basic ethical tenet in, in Wicca and in, in paganism in general, which is, you're basically free to do what you want. We're not going to tell you what to do, but don't hurt other people. And there's also a sense of responsibility in that the things that you do affect the world and they affect you and you have to live with what you do. And so be careful. You know, if we're not going to tell you not to do certain things, but if you do it, you're going to have to live with what you did. So think about that. And I, I think that's a very great way of looking at ethics. And instead of writing down a list of prescribed rules, it's almost a cop out. It's like, I just have to, I just have to follow the rules that are written down and I'm, I'm off the hook. This is more, um, it reminds me of this project we did on restorative justice, where instead of just doing your prison sentence and being done, you have to confront what you've done and live with it and make amends for it. And it's much more emotionally difficult to do that than to just think, well, I followed the rules, I'm off the hook. If you've made it this far into the show, it means I must be doing something right. Kibbe on Liberty is just one of the amazing products we created for the people. We tell emotionally compelling stories and produce educational videos for the Liberty Curious. Our award-winning documentaries personalize all things Liberty, independence, creativity, hard work, integrity, and perseverance. After the show, check out our work at freethepeople.org. And if you like what you see, donate to support what we do. That's freethepeople.org. Now back to the show. You know. Yeah. I, in, in my book, it's I describe it as looking in the mirror every morning. Mm -hmm. Liberty means looking in the mirror every morning and holding yourself accountable. It's not even about what someone else judges you for. Um, the greatest burden of that responsibility is is imposed by yourself. Yes. And that seems to be the ethos that I've uh, detected in the pagan community as well. Is they don't tell you what to do, but if you're doing bad things, it's uh, it's going to come back to bite you eventually. It's not quite a belief in karma, but it's a little bit similar to that in that you're, you're hurting your own life by living a bad life. You want to live a good life. Um, what other values? The um, let's, let's talk about fight the power. Okay. Because there is this this reaction, I think, against um, an imposed set of rules that are non-debatable and that you just comply with, right? So, so 
pagans don't have that. No, we don't. Um, and I think a lot of the fight the power analog would be in the fact that paganism was illegal for many years and that we have things like the Inquisition and the Salem witch trials. And there was a lot of persecution, uh, religious persecution of pagans over the years. Yeah. And so there tends to be a lot of skepticism towards centralized authority structures that uh, want to tell you what to do and what to think. And that comes from, you know, being fearful for your life because the Catholic Church is going to come and get you. Uh, and we don't have that anymore, obviously, but there's still, you know, that residual uh, feeling toward, of of resentment towards powerful people that are trying to control your life and stop you from doing what you want to do. So I've, I do detect in paganism a deep skepticism towards authority and towards power and towards centralization because again it's not a centralized religion there's no pope there's no sacred text no one can tell you how to practice it and every anytime anyone tries to tell them how to practice it they get very angry and they rebel and they go off and do something different yeah so yeah i think this fight the power is definitely a big part of it and there's a there's also a big stream of uh social justice activism within paganism and you know that tends to be a little bit more left-wing but there's i think there's a sense of social responsibility that a lot of pagans have yeah it's such a um, as as Hayek pointed out, the the term social justice may, renders the word justice meaningless, mm-hmm. but but I think it's just um, it's a blank check to to like I'm actually sort of a, if I didn't know how it was being implemented, I'm tra- attracted to that because I do think there is a social aspect of justice, as you're saying, like you 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 know a good person cares about the people around them and they, they care about the community and they they will. They will take some responsibility f- for that. That is, in a libertarian rendering, very much self-imposed. Like, right. You're not. You're not being a good person because someone told you to be. Um, in fact, that's not how you can be a good person. It, you, obeying an order is is very different than doing the right thing. Yeah, I've always felt that the order thing sort of negates the whole concept of morality. If you're doing something because you're uh, afraid of punishment for not doing it, if you're just doing it because you're being coerced into doing it, that's not morality. There's no free choice in that. And so having that more open-ended morality system where it's like you can do what you want, um, but you have to live with it, that's that's real morality. That's real choice instead of you have to do what we tell you to do because otherwise you're going to jail or otherwise you're going to hell or something like that. I, have a, I struggle with that in terms of thinking it as an active participatory morality because you, you don't have a choice. You have to do it. Right. So you, you, you talk about the Inquisition, which, mm-hmm. which perhaps was the, um, one of the famous examples of, of intolerance of, of religious dissent. And, and perhaps a, you know, a, one of the reasons I'm, I'm making this up because I don't know the history, but I'm assuming that that attitude is, is very much what influenced the founders to, to come up with the idea of religious freedom um, and the, the corruption of, you know, the collusion between governments and states, yeah. you know, particularly the Catholic Church. Well, yeah, the, the Vatican being basically in charge of all of Europe for several hundred, maybe a thousand years is uh, it was it was the status quo for a thousand years. And it was kind of inconceivable that you'd have anything else. But it's a little bit uh, frightening when the Vatican decides that they want to go after Jews or they want to go after pagans or they want to go after Protestants. Um, well, maybe we shouldn't have someone who's going to go after all the other religions being in charge of the entire continent of Europe. Yeah. Um, I'd also observe that, um, and this is, this is a theory I have that I, I believe to be true, that a lot of my Mormon friends have a very um, keen sense of religious freedom because they also have been persecuted, um, particularly in the United States. Yeah. And and I, I suspect that that experience uh, that he, experiencing intolerance um, um, 
even being made illegal um, has to be something that motivates people to sort of pursue that 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 freedom side of of the theology itself. Yeah, it's interesting. There's still, I mean, it's mostly legal now, but there's uh, someone the other day was telling me they ran up against an anti-fortune telling law in one state. They were doing tarot readings for someone and they were trying to shut her down because they said uh, fortune telling is against the law. So you have to put a disclaimer on your tarot reading saying this is for entertainment purposes only. This isn't fortune telling in order to get away with it. Like a lot of these laws persist and a lot of these attitudes persist. It's kind of interesting. Well, if it saves just one life. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that I think, another caricature of libertarianism that makes your morphing of, the, of these, these two worldviews interesting to me is, is the belief that somehow we don't give a crap about the world and the environment and the planet and, and, and living a, a, in, in, a, in a clean and healthy world. I've, I've never accepted that caricature, but... Mm. There's a lot of a, a lot of the talk in your book is about the the beauty of the world around us. Yeah, and that that sort of drives your particular version, your your personal value system, your paganism. Yeah, I think that there's a sense in um, a lot of other religions, not just Christianity, but most other religions, that the world is somehow fallen or broken or sinful inherently. And that like the goal of life should be to escape the world and like what this life is pretty bad, but when we get out of it, we'll go to heaven and things will be better or we'll reincarnate as something better or we'll ascend to the Elysian fields or enlightenment or whatever. Pagans don't have that. Like we like the world. The world is great. We like our lives. We don't really have strong beliefs about the afterlife. Some people believe in reincarnation. Some people believe in various forms of the afterlife. But for the most part, we're living for today. And we want the world to be nice because we're living in it and we think it's great. And all of our stuff is here, which is pretty good. Um, So there's that very, uh, I find it a very joyful religion because we're really appreciating what's around us. And we're not just waiting for what comes next. Um, And there's a strong environmental environmentalist current within the pagan movement. But I was a little bit surprised to find that not all, I mean, there certainly are pagans like this, but not all pagans are like want strong environmental regulation from the government. I've read some books where they were saying, yeah, we have to protect the environment, but it's a cop-out to have the government do it for us. We need to do it. It's our responsibility as individuals to take care of our environment, which I think is much more what I'm sympathetic to because I think the environmental regulations that the government imposes tend to have a lot of unintended consequences and negative side effects, and they end up making people poor when they don't need to be making people poor. Um, and so having it as a personal duty rather than a something you hand off to someone else to do for you is a very libertarian idea. By the way, it's a bit of a cop-out because, you know, a real environmentalist is someone that takes responsibility for stewardship of the land mm-hmm. and and rational use of scarce resources and, and all of that paradigm. It reminds me a little bit of uh, the cop-out on taking care of communities like if you if you believe in a strong welfare state you probably also believe well someone else is going to take care of it so i don't have to worry about making sure that people in my community are not suffering right and it's two different paradigms one again going back to looking in the mirror like are you taking responsibility for your own life and are you living the kind of life that doesn't hurt other people or take their stuff Um, obviously if you're destroying the planet that's fundamentally inconsistent yes with, absolutely with, with this value structure the, the other thing um i don't think i don't think it's in the book but maybe it is because i i looked at a couple things um 
uh, in the last couple of days preparing for this, but in your conversation, which you can find, what's it called? The the, the YouTube video you it's did. It's just called Coast. "What Is Libertarian Paganism," and it's was released a few weeks ago. And it's uh, a conversation I had at Porkfest 2022 uh, with Devin Hunter. Devin no Devin Rogers. Sorry, Devin Hunter is someone else. Devin Rogers, who is uh, the founder of the New Vinland Temple. It's like a, a Norse sect of paganism. So the other, um, you know, the elephant in the room, the, the the belief system we haven't talked about is is um, Ayn Rand's sort of rational atheism, right? Um, and oh, uh, this is where this conversation is going to get spicy. Well, what what was interesting? I, I don't know. I, you should say what you want to say, but Ayn Rand's atheism um, would be another thing. I, I remember um, who's the. I'm going to screw up this story, but I was I was on Bill Maher, mm-hmm. and and I was um, debating in the green room the science guy and Neil Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, he's the worst! Don't ever go on a show with Neil deGrasse. Oh, Tyson he's terrible because he cannot shut his mouth. Like yeah, he's just he loves the sound on, of his own voice on and on. And he he uh, the first thing he like he he had done research on me and he knew I liked Ayn Rand. And he confronted me in the in the green room as if he had discovered like uh, nuclear fusion or something. <laughs> He's like, "Did you know that Ayn Rand was an atheist?" And I'm like, "Really? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that." Um, that story has nothing to do with anything. Um, but your friend on that podcast pointed out that a lot of people in his community are actually Randians. Yes. So we have Randian pagans, yeah, which is going to explode the heads of some of my Randian well, friends. Well, if you want to really explode their heads, then listen to what I'm going to say next, because Ayn Rand's philosophy was extremely influential directly on the foundation of the Church of Satan by Anton LaVey. And, you know, I, I want to debunk the whole thing about Satanism real quickly, because people think that paganism and Satanism are the same thing, which they're not. Satanism is a little bit adjacent to paganism, but it's not what people think it is. It's not worshiping the devil. It's a mostly atheistic political philosophy that basically is uh, interested in, they're largely anti-Christian, but they're not demonic. They don't believe in supernatural powers or anything like that. They believe in the separation of church and state. They try to, uh, they usually sue the government to try to get them to tear, tear down the Ten Commandments in front of courthouses and stuff like that. That's mainly what they do. But they have a list of like rules and commandments, basically, the uh, the satanic commandments. And they're basically Ayn Rand's philosophy, you know. It's all the stuff she talks about, about, you know, valuing yourself and um, you know, building things and making things, you know, being an entrepreneur and, and, uh, not, not giving away all your, the value of your labor to the moochers and all that kind of stuff. It's all the same stuff. And it's interesting because like people have such a negative stigma against Satanists, which is sort of the Satanist own fault for adopting that terminology, but they, they're provocative and they like to kind of get on. Uh, yeah. I would, I would say worst branding ever. Yeah. But you know, they get on television, whereas if they were just a bunch of atheists who were, um, complaining yeah, so about the, this so stuff, they're, they're being trolls, they're being trolls for attention deliberately so that people will notice them, which yeah. they would not notice them if they were just a bunch of atheists. Um, so, you know, I did a podcast with a man who I really like, uh, from the satanic temple. He's not, not the church of Satan. It's a different organization. Um, and they're lovely people, really nice people. I like them a lot, but, and they don't worship evil. They don't sacrifice babies or anything like that. All, everything you think you know about Satanism is wrong. It's basically an, a Randian Nietzschean sort of, you know, philosophy of, uh, exalting the self and exalting, uh, individual freedom. Yeah. So I, I talk about that a little bit in the book, but it's it's one of those difficult areas to talk about because people have such a negative reaction as soon as you mention it. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and guess that 
Ayn Rand would not approve. Probably not. But yeah. Ayn Rand didn't approve of a lot of things, including libertarians. Right. Yes. Well, she, she. Well, we're going to debunk that. So that that the end of this part of the story is that um, this project where I want to talk to to Christians and Mormons and Jews and and objectivists about different ways that you can get to what are what are basically different versions of the golden rule. Yeah. You know, do unto others as you would do um, to yourself. Uh, live and let live. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Yeah. Um, there's, I think, a lot of um, people very much um, believe in in these these core values. I think they're fundamentally human values, and you 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 can apparently get there many different ways. Yeah, um, I like to say there are many paths to the top of the mountain. There's different ways to get there, and I'm happy for other people to take whatever path works for them. But some version of that commandment is present in pretty much every religion and every like philosophical uh, system that deals with ethics or morality since history. Like people will say that um, the Ten Commandments, you know, they come from from Judaism or they come from Christianity. Like those those same rules exist in the Code of Hammurabi from the Babylonians. You know, these basic uh, moral values of don't kill people, don't steal from people. Like they're necessary for civilization. They're necessary for living together, and so any successful civilization has had some kind of version of those. Because if you don't, you're not going to be a successful civilization. Yeah, and uh, like the 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 idea again, promoting my book available in all good bookstores. Isn't it disgusting that I'm promoting my book on a show about your book? Well, it's fine. I'll just hold up mine for the camera as it, well, it's, so it's everyone can see. Exploitive, but. But I always half joke that if if Adam Smith could tweet about the theory of moral sentiments, it would be don't hurt people and don't take their stuff, and and he but with a thick Scottish brogue. Yeah, I, which I can't do. Right. You you can do, and you, you're welcome to try. But that's okay. <laughs> um, there's um, heavily influenced, I think, by by the the Christian values that he Definitely. was surrounded by. Um, so I want I want to pursue all those things and. And, and more to the libertarian point, we have to get to a point where we're willing to at least hear the other person out. Yes. Um, unless you believe that the state should mandate religion X and impose it on everybody, do a new inquisition and, and, and punish and jail and perhaps murder unbelievers, mm-hmm. we're going to have to figure out a way to get along. Yeah. And and that, that only works in a, in a society that is, that is free and tolerant um, and and also built around a simple set of rules that that don't punish the minority. Yeah, and one of the things I like about the pagan community is it tends to be very inclusive. Um, I think it was a Washington Post article that called it the most LGBTQ friendly religion in the country. Um, they try not to exclude people based on identity, based on politics, based on all kinds of various things, based on race, uh, based on gender, you know, sexual orientation, anything like that. They they want everybody to be part of it because they know what it's like when they're persecuted and they know what it's like when people are trying to go after you because of something like your faith. And so they tend to be very, very open and welcoming. And the fact that paganism is itself an umbrella term that encompasses many different traditions I mean you, you sort of have to let those people in and, and welcome them. There are, there are a few you know, sects of paganism that are a little bit more restrictive and they're like, you have to do it our way or the highway. But I don't know those people and I don't spend time with those people. So they, they're very welcoming and lovely people in my experience. Yeah. The, the choice is quite simple. Um, if, if people have made it this far in this podcast without canceling me, yeah. And, and everything else, the, the, the choice for the future is quite simple. You can either choose, choose cooperation mm-hmm. and tolerance and empathy and, 
and understanding where other people are coming from and, and working through persuasion as opposed to coercion. Or you can choose violence. Right. And violence is top-down, government-imposed um, um, compliance with somebody's plan, somebody's value set. Um, I am not aware of a single place in the world ever where that system based on violence has led to human prospering and prosperity and harmony. I'm not aware of it either. Uh, it seems like the most violent places in the world tend not to be nice places to live. So, uh, yeah, I think it, being anti-violence is such a huge core of my libertarian beliefs. It's, I, when I'm, people are asking me to explain libertarianism to them, I've tried many things over the years. It's always hard to come up with a way of explaining it. And the way I always explain it nowadays is I just want our interaction as people to be on a voluntary basis. I want there to be consent between what we do. I don't want it to be forced on me or forced on you or forced on anybody through violence or threats or coercion or anything like that. I think the best way for people to live together is voluntarily. Okay, so what else haven't we talked about that, that you want to talk about? This is your hour, even though I've been promoting my book this whole time. <laughs> the, the one other thing that I wanted to mention a little bit is um, what I view as like a tolerance for uncertainty that I think unites libertarians and pagans. Um, it's a very, paganism is a very searching sort of religion. There, I don't know very many dogmatic pagans who are like, this is the way things are. It's, uh, it's a sense that there's a spiritual dimension to the universe and it's our job to discover what that is and to figure it out for ourselves. And, you know, some people are want to worship Apollo and some people have a more um, kind of subjective or um, psychological approach. We're like these are these divine forces are really aspects of our own subconscious. Uh, it's, it's a more subjective approach to religion. And, and we even within the group that I hang out with, we disagree. Some people have more strong views about what gods and goddesses are and some people have more wishy-washy views or like i kind of do sort of more of a subjective or, or metaphorical understanding of what these things mean um and that's okay like we don't have to know everything we don't have to be we don't have received wisdom come down from on high that tell us what's right and what's wrong and i think that's something that's very true of libertarians as well because we reject these centralized pronouncements from above saying this is the way things are. We want to question it and find out for ourselves. And there's a constant learning of new things and there's a constant reevaluating our worldview and figuring out what's going on. And uh, I mean, the whole idea of a free market system is we don't know what price things should be. We don't know how much bread should be produced. We don't know how many shoes should be produced and what sizes. We don't know any of that stuff. That's for people to figure out. And we, if you let people figure it out on their own, they're going to come up with great solutions because that's the way people are. Um, but if you have one person at the top who says they know everything, it's not going to work out so well. And I think that's very similar to the way that pagans view their theology and their philosophy about their the way the world works. Is We don't know what, what's true. We don't know what exactly... Uh, the metaphysics of the world consist of, but we're going to keep looking into it and trying to figure it out and see what we can come up with. So that's another area where I think the two uh, worldviews sort of overlap. Yeah, and it's uh, uh, we were talking about this beforehand, and and you and I have known each other for twelve years, yeah, something that's about like that. Right. It's hard to keep track anymore because we've known each other and been friends for a long time. And the team at Free the People, with the exception of Miguel, who's still going through the hazing period. Of, of, of our family relationship. He'll get there eventually, another yeah. 10 years. Well, we'll see. It takes about 10 years yeah. to get on board, but um, we, we, we do have basically one of everything. And one of the things that we do quite often when we're, when we're doing an otherwise professional, semi-professional business meeting is we tease each other about, about our, our religion. Mm -hmm. And 
and I think it's healthy. Um, and somehow we're all very good friends and, and we get along, even though if I suppose if we were to have to choose one set of personal values, one religion, um, we would probably uh, break up the team. Yeah. And this, this is my plea to people that, that want everybody to be the same. Like, it's, it doesn't work that way. And that, I think that's what the founders had in mind. I'm very much of the opinion that you, you make fun of your friends and you give them a hard time. And that shows that you care about them. You know, yeah. if you were uh, indifferent to them, then you wouldn't do that. But because you care about them, you want to just rib them and constantly poke at them a little bit. And I don't take offense at that at all. And I hope no one else on the team does because that's kind of how we operate. Yeah. Um, so where can you get this intriguing new book, Libertarian Paganism, Freedom and Responsibility in Nature-Based Spirituality? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It's uh, being released on October 27th of this year. It is available wherever fine books are sold. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble if you're in the UK, Waterstones. It's published by a UK um, publisher called Collective Inc. And the uh, imprint of that is called Moon Books. So you can go to the Collective Inc. website or the Moon Books website and order it there directly if you don't want to give money to Jeff Bezos, which I completely understand. Uh, and it's available now on paperback. Get it. How many millions of copies do you think you'll sell? Some fraction of 1% of a billion, I'm sure. Um, and this this is technically our Halloween special as yes, well. Yes, it is. Happy uh, Halloween. Do you want to you plug your, your irrational enthusiasm for the, the Halloween holiday? I love Halloween. I don't think it's irrational at all. It's a lovely time of year. Uh, Halloween's interesting. We just did, with my group, we did an interfaith conference where a bunch of people from other religions came to learn about paganism. And they, one of the people asked me about Halloween. Um, and it's the thought that, like, that's the pagan holiday. And, like, what do you think about Halloween? And Halloween's interesting because it's sort of a blending of a Christian holiday called All Souls Day and a pagan holiday called Samhain, which is like a harvest festival that um, honors the, the dead and the ancestors of people. And so they're not quite the same thing, but there's this this blending of the, the Christian All Souls Day and that pagan harvest festival where there's an emphasis on people who are, have died and passed on. And they're, the idea that the, the veil between those two worlds is a little bit thin at that time of year. And maybe you want to give some acknowledgement and pay some respect to, to the ghosts in your life, essentially, for lack of a better term. So... There's a little bit more of a reverential, spiritual take on Halloween, but I love the the secular Halloween as well. I love all the ghosts and goblins and uh, just the aesthetics of it. It's my favorite time of year, so I'm very excited. And in honor of that, I brought in this bottle of absinthe that we're drinking because it's the spookiest of all hard liquors, I and think. And is there anything special about this bottle? Uh, it was given to me by a friend of ours, a mutual friend, Josh Withrow, on my birthday last year, and I've been saving it for a special occasion. So okay, this cheers. is that special occasion. Cheers. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.